So we're diving in with Creed. I hope everyone gets your little uh, Apostles' Creed bands. Uh, this is a reminder that we do believe, and not only do we believe, but we live by what we believe, and the Creed summarizes what we believe. You might wonder what that word means, creed. You could have a creed for your family. You could have a creed for your business. It's kind of like a mission statement. But a creed is simply this. It's a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. And I love that the word aim is in that definition because it gives you a directional focus. This is where I should go. This is where I should walk. And my actions should be on the path according to that aim. What is the Apostles' Creed? A little historical information here. The creeds, also known as the 12 Articles of Faith, it expresses essential biblical doctrines that have been articulated, defended, and embraced for nearly 2,000 years of church history. Many evangelical Christians throughout history have used the Apostles' Creed as a personal proclamation of their own faith. It's a powerful statement. Further, all evangelical denominations since the Protestant Reformation have affirmed the Apostles' Creed without reservation. It may have been contested, but nothing can contest the truths in the Apostles' Creed. It stood the test of time. And while there's no evidence or textual evidence or historical evidence that the Apostles got together and wrote this, we call it the Apostles' Creed because the roots of this are found in the Apostles' teaching. And we know from Scripture that the church dedicate themselves to the teaching of the Apostles. And so the Apostles and that first generation of believers, those teachings were finally codified and crafted into this creed. It was originally composed as a direct response to heresy in defense of the gospel and the Christian faith. If you don't know the word heresy, it just means this. It's any formal denial or doubt of a core doctrine of the Christian faith. And there's a lot of denials going on in our culture today. There's a lot of spreading seeds of doubt, but this will bring us back to the eternal truth of God's word in which we believe, in which we believe, and there can stand no doubt against that. So truth number one today, fill in number one, the Apostles' Creed defends the gospel. The Apostles' Creed defends the gospel. See, the immediate heresy that the creed was uh, composed to, it responded to Gnosticism. Gnosticism was the Greeks' elevation of human thought, reason, and their experience as ultimate truth. Gnosticism denied the divine creation, the incarnation of Christ, the deity of Christ, and salvation by faith in Christ alone. These very same truths are under attack today. That's why we need to refresh the creed and stand on it. Today, we need to refresh the, the creed so we have a response and a defense of the gospel. If you can remember the creed, you have good material to defend the gospel and to speak to someone intelligently about the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. How do we do this? 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. Peter is saying here, part of you working out your salvation with fear and trembling is being able to properly defend the gospel. The creed helps us do that. And I love that he charges us from Scripture that we should do it with two words, gentleness and respect. These two commodities are in short supply in the public circle, in the Internet. Okay, let's bring them back. Let's be believers who can defend the Christian faith with gentleness and respect and bring some credibility back to the name of Christ Jesus in our culture today. The Apostles' Creed will ensure that Christ remains as Lord in our hearts. We have a responsibility as believers to give an account, and we have a charge from Scripture to do so with gentleness and respect. Which leads me to fill in number two. The Apostles' Creed is where we find unity and agreement. The Apostles' Creed is where the believers... The true Christ-like followers find unity and agreement. Hey, there's a whole lot of things that we can maybe not see eye to eye on. Liturgical aspects, different, different, different doctrines. But this is the one where we're unified and we can find agreement. What would happen if we all focused our energy on making sure this was the main thing? What would happen to our culture, to society? What would happen to Tom's River, Ocean County, the people's hearts in this region? It's a common bond. It's why we can grab hands with other churches in the region that believe the Apostles' Creed, whether we practice our faith the same way or not. Hello, somebody. Thank you, Pastor Walt, for that. It works every time. Why are we teaching the Apostles' Creed? Because the authentic Christian faith, and there's other versions of it that aren't authentic, The the authentic Christian faith is always being assaulted by the enemy. Get this through culture. He uses culture to assault and erode the genuine Christian faith. And America, I believe, is heading forcefully towards if we aren't already firmly entrenched in postmodernism. What is postmodernism? Well, postmodern culture sounds good. It sounds good, kind of like socialism, kind of sounds good in its idealistic attempt to revolt against power and privilege that distorts reality and dictates cultural norms that aren't in line with the best interests of all humanity and and the best interests of all social classes. The problem with that is, while it's good intended, postmodernism tries to answer those problems of social justice apart from biblical truth. You cannot do that. It will always end badly, and we see examples of that all around us today. It elevates, postmodernism elevates humanity as the ultimate solution, and so it's a version of modern-day Gnosticism, humanism, and it's the same issue that the creed was originally written to address. That's why we're refreshing it. Postmodernism is anti-God, and it's totally anti-Christian at its core. It elevates identity over truth. Does that sound familiar? It's the heart behind cancel culture and the erasing of any kind of religious or moral standard of truth. It relies on the identity found in mankind and his experience to determine 
truth. This is the reality of the culture that is pressing in around us. And the church needs to stand up and push back out and say, no, your redefined truth is not our truth. The truth that we know, biblical truth, is the truth. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Postmodern culture says life is about experience over reason. It's about subjectivity over objectivity. It's about, get this, spirituality over religion. People tell you, well, I'm spiritual. You're not spiritual unless you have the Holy Spirit of God and you're operating in the kingdom of God. Everything else is, is a false spirituality. It's about images over words. It's about the outward over the inward because experience is valued more highly than reason, then truth suddenly becomes relative. Of course, this opens up all kinds of problems. It lessens the standard that the Bible contains absolute truth. It even disqualifies biblical truth as being absolute in many cases. If the Bible is not our source of absolute truth, and personal experience is allowed to define and interpret what truth actually is, and here's the very, very dangerous thing about this, that a saving faith in Jesus Christ is rendered meaningless. We're living inside a culture that is saying there is no need for a savior, and certainly Jesus, if he was anything, wasn't God, and he cannot save you. Only you could save you, and you probably don't even need saving. That's probably all a figment of your imagination. So here's the thing. As we look through this today and throughout the series, we're going to learn filling number three, that the Apostles' Creed is counter-cultural. Big time. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb if you really believe in the Apostles' Creed, if you really do what the Creed says and live according to that. Now, make no mistake, the Apostles' Creed isn't Scripture, some people think, well, it's a, a long passage somewhere in the Bible. No, it's not there. It doesn't even necessarily quote Scripture, but what it does is it summarizes sound doctrine that is founded in the truth of Scriptures. Each statement of the creed, it takes and distills those truths, yet supporting those truths are deep layers of Scriptures that anchor those truths and can be firmly confirmed throughout Scripture. I like to think about it as kind of a thumbnail. You go on the internet, you go on your phone, and there's just a thumbnail image of something. And when you click on that, all of a sudden, okay, here's a web page, or here's a document, or here's a further development of what that image represents. They're thumbnail shots, and they represent deep foundational anchors for the faith. Another picture I like is that they're trees. These are like trees that are solid, but what you don't see underneath is this huge root structure. It's widespread, and all those roots confirm each other, and they support the truth that we're speaking of. So as we study the root system throughout all these weeks of, of studying the creed, as we study the roots that hold up these statements, all of a sudden you're going to see a clear picture of how you're supposed to live your life. A life that's supposed to be lived in demonstration of the statements, a life that declares and agrees with God's word as absolute eternal truth, God's truth. So it starts, the whole thing starts with, and it's on your, your brace, bracelet bands, I believe. 
I believe. What does I believe mean? When we say I believe, what are we saying? We're really saying nothing if we don't live according to what we are saying. I believe is supposed to mean I live by, and you'll see that in Pastor Walt's book, by, leave, by, live, be, leave, live, by. I live by this. What did he used to say? Show me, don't snow me. Let's bring that phrase back. I like it. It's a good one. Live according to what you say, right? I live according to this truth regardless of pressure to do otherwise, regardless of my present emotional or circumstantial perspective. My actions speak to my belief, or more specifically, my actions speak to my faith. What is your faith in? Who is your faith in? Here's fill in lower third. It's a powerful statement. I would encourage you to to memorize this phrase alone. A written creed is powerless, although that's a good start. A spoken creed is still lifeless because that's only one part. But a lived creed is a fortress, a true reflection of the belief in your heart. It's great. Write it down. That's the first step. Write it down. Write it down and speak it. That's great. Two steps. But if the third one never comes to pass, there's no power, there's no life, you might as well just read the milk carton out loud because that's about as good as it's going to do you. It's incongruent. It's, it's the epitome of hypocrisy, to be quite honest, to say you believe these things and don't live these things. A lived creed is a fortress, a true reflection of the belief in your heart. James 2.17, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. I believe in my marriage. I believe in my marriage because I entered into a covenant under heaven with that woman right there on this very altar. And I live in faithfulness to that covenant. Even, y'all are going to be shocked, when my marriage doesn't feel like a blessed union. Come on, married couples. Is every day a slice of heaven? No. Life is real. The enemy is real. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to lie to you about that covenant relationship. But you know what? I don't change I stay faithful to that covenant. I live in faithfulness to that covenant. I believe in my marriage and I live according to that covenant. I believe in rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. I don't like giving Caesar stuff. But I have to live in accordance with that. I pay my taxes. I'm not guilty of tax evasion. I honor the laws of the land. I love my neighbor. I live out these beliefs in an observable way even when I don't feel blessed, even when my actions aren't reciprocated. That's what living your beliefs looks like. Your neighbor is a real piece of work. (laughs) Love them anyway. In fact, press into that walk of love. The more contrary someone is to what you're living out, the more you need to press in and just say, I'm going to love you more and more and more and more. I'm going to love you till heaven and earth 
completely change you till the Spirit of God has full control over your life and you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I was thinking recently that we shouldn't be discouraged. We're on the right path when it seems like all hell is breaking loose in the areas that we want to see God come in and do something. And a lot of people just shrink back and go, I can't take that. That's too much pressure. Or they're never going to change. They're lost forever. Oh, there they go. Just being that, whatever. See the truth of who God sees on the inside of that person. See the truth for God's word in that situation. And call those things that are not as though they are according to his word. Thank you, Lord. I do what I do according to God's word because I walk by faith. I live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. See, our kind of faith, faith in God's word, it's having good evidence, but not all the answers. How many of you have all the answers? No one better raise your hand. <laughs> God has all the answers. God's word has all the answers. He's not obligated to give you every piece of evidence. He says in Romans that his attributes are clearly seen for all mankind, yet we must find him by faith. He said it in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. See, we can know about God. It's easy. Just go to Wikipedia. It's all there, right? There's no blocking basic information about the scriptures. Bible, the Bible translation is in 50, 60 translations now. In every hotel room, you can get a Gideon Bible, right? You can know about God. But that's not enough. If we're to live in a God-blessed relationship with him, if we're going to please God, we must live by faith, Amen. trusting him. I've talked to, to some people lately that there's circumstances aren't aligning up with what they believe. That's when you just have to trust them even more. Amen. I trust you with the outcome, Hebrews 11:6, Because when you do that, you're pleasing God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. Wow. You're going to get your reward if it's not next week, next month, next year. My personal testimony is God does things very slowly in my life. It's probably because I need a lot of character <laughs> to be worked on, right? My wife can attest. I've had to humble myself. And I think it's good that God just doesn't give us everything we want instantly. It builds our character. And you know what? If you don't get it by the time you pass on into glory, you're going to get everything he wants for you when you see him face to face. And until then, it's just this mind game of the enemy to try to convince you that what you believe in isn't worth giving your life for today. So let's look at my portion of the creed. The very first phrase here, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I love this opening statement. It couldn't be more specific. This is like saying, it's, it's, it's not like saying I just, there is a God or I know a God. It's like me saying, I have a friend whose name is Luke and 
you might say, well, I have some friends whose name is Luke. Well, those could be completely different personalities. You might assume, well, the Luke you know is the, is the Luke I know. But if you really want to know this Luke that I know, then, then I'd say this Luke is my friend. He's a father of three. He's the husband of Amanda. He's the chef. He's the horticulturist. He's the board game enthusiast. He's the planner of friend get-togethers. And see, I believe in him. I believe in Luke. He's smiling because I'm, I'm making an example out of him in service. I believe in him because I know him. He doesn't cease to be my friend Luke if I haven't seen him in a few weeks or a year. If I move out of town for six years, we never see each other. He's still Luke. I know him. I believe him. I don't need to see him to believe in him. And guess what? If you in this service don't know Luke, if you stake any credibility on me, you now can believe in Luke too. You say, but I've never seen him. Doesn't matter. I'm a reliable witness and testimony that that is the Luke who embodies all those things and many more. Too long to list today. So God's word is the reliable source that tells you about God. Whether you see him or taste him or touch him or feel him is irrelevant. That's what the, the word of God does. Amen, somebody. Amen. It gives us firsthand evidence of who God is and then we have to believe it. And so the creed brings those truths to a powerful summary statement about God. So God, which God? What are you talking about? God the Father. Okay, God, God the Father. Well, which God the Father? God the Father Almighty. God the Father Almighty. Well, who is this God the Father Almighty? He is creator. Well, what does this God the Father Almighty create? What does he create? He creates everything, heaven and earth, the invisible, the visible, the things that you see and the things that you don't, what is above and what is below. This is the God that we believe in. First Corinthians, yes, give him, a, give him praise. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say three words here, and I'm going to say, you say, that's me. And all you have to do is say, that's me. Can we practice that? Say, that's me. Okay, so ready? Here we go. Yet for us, say, that's me. There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. You exist for this God. All things exist for this God, God the Father, not just any God, not an angry, distant God. God the Father, giver of life, the author of all creation, but also the author and originator of the family of God, starting with being a father to Israel. Jeremiah 31, 9, just the last portion of that verse, verse says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. 
Romans 9, 6 through 8, Paul talks about the spiritual transformation that takes place that invites every one of us, that's me's, into the family of God, not just the family of Israel as God the Father. He says here, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. You and I, you we were heirs according to the promise of the seed of Abraham. What Christ did for us comes alive in us as seed. We are his seed. Come on, somebody. Genesis 28.3, he is not only the father, he's the father almighty. And we're going to talk about what that seed's supposed to do here. 28 verse 3, may God Almighty El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become a multitude of peoples. This is the natural and the spiritual. This is for then and this is for now. This description sets God apart as the one true God, not Zeus, not Apollo, not Allah, not any other ambiguously not tied to the word of God, God. This is the God of the Hebrew Bible, the ancient scrolls of the Old Testament, the God of the Greek New Testament. His name is El Shaddai. He's directly connected to fruitfulness and blessing. He is the mighty barrel-chested one. He is the greatest superhero you'll ever, ever dream about or experience. None of the Marvel, Marvel movies have even come up with a superhero as great as El Shaddai, this mighty Father God. And because we are seed according to that name and that nature, he wants us to multiply his image in us as creators. In the beginning, he created and he gave us his image. He wants the truths about him to grow and multiply. You are his truth. The word of God is in you. He wants his seed in us, and he wants us as seeds to fill the earth with his glory. We are to both procreate physically and to recreate spiritually. Get this. We become new creations to go and make more new creations. Amen. How can they respond if you don't preach the gospel to them? Amen. If you don't declare it with your mouth, if you don't live it with your life, that's how the seed of the word of God from God the Father Almighty through Jesus Christ comes alive in you and comes alive in those who don't yet know him. The Holy Spirit was telling us to surrender unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. Jesus did it, and now we do it. Die daily, over and over and over again. None of that can happen unless we have the blessing of God Almighty, not the blessing of the Almighty dollar. It's about him first. 
whatever needs to happen after that, he will make sure provision follows you. It's not by our might, not by our power, but by the Spirit of the Lord Almighty. God the Father Almighty. He's creator of heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I talked earlier about the creed being countercultural. There's two countercultural ideas I need to unpack today, and they're very, they're very relevant for us. And it would be uh, such wisdom for us to get a handle on how to live these things and articulate the truth of God's word in the face of these matters. One of them is a cosmological idea that comes against creator God. And so cosmology is our understanding of the origins of the universe. Cosmology is our understanding of how things all come together, our, our worldview of the universe. And so would we believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That creed stands counter to this idea that our modern cosmology nullifies the validity of Scripture. That holds a primitive cosmology. Let me unpack the argument for you. As our cosmological understanding of the universe changes, we don't deny God as creator of it all. We can't deny him. Man's understanding of heaven and earth, whatever, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, couldn't comprehend what we know today. But his darkened understanding doesn't nullify the power of the revelation of the Holy Spirit and what was communicated through ancient civilization to be the eternal truth of God's word. Are you grasping this today? See, humanism in a postmodern age says, well, that's cool if it was real to them, but it can't be true for us because those words can't mean something today that they didn't mean to them. It's very sneaky how the enemy does this. They'll say, we've moved past their understanding of the universe, their for it is no longer relevant and it has anything to do with God and creation. We're going to wipe that right out. We don't need to be messing with that. But the truth is, our current revelation of science doesn't have to contradict our eternal revelation of Almighty Creator. On the contrary, are you still with me today? We bring faith to the subject, remember. We always have to bring faith to the subject. We understand that our mind isn't limited by what we understand, but our mind is illuminated by the Holy Spirit to embrace, to know, and to be known by an infinite God who's over all creation. See, our faith, yes, embraces a physical heaven and earth, as well as how it all came to be, but we also embrace a greater reality of the kingdom of heaven. See, scientists miss that because it's not their physical reality. A reality of the kingdom of heaven interacting with this temporary earth. We allow scripture to teach us about this heaven and earth. You know, this heaven and earth is going to pass away, but we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, and science can't figure that out. They can't discover that yet. They're going to find out eventually where we become ultimate new creations, where we tend the garden of God forever, where everything is restored back to the way God created it to be. It's hard for our minds to understand that, but I don't need to understand it to believe it and to know that is truth. That's liberating, church. 
The second one, and it's, it's a hot button issue right now, I'm going to just dive right in and address this, this biological argument that, that the way God created biology is not necessarily truth and doesn't apply to us today. We can remake that, we can change that, and it has to do with, with, with sexual identity and sexual relations. And here's this truth. The creed stands counter to this idea that the Bible doesn't prohibit, listen, but affirms committed same-sex unions. This is accepted teaching in some Christian circles. This is absolutely not a right division of the word of truth. Don't fall for it. Don't believe in it. In contrast to that, we must live in alignment with a God who called the creation of male and female very good. And while if our emotions, our feelings, get this, or the reprogramming that culture is trying to perpetuate on us says woman and woman is good, man and man is good, or worse yet, that biological gender isn't truth, it's fluid, and it's good to be self-identifiable, we still must say no to that because God says no. We have to stand against an argument that says the Bible, here's another version of this idea, the Bible only prohibits abusive same-sex relationships, but doesn't say anything about those that are in committed relationships as same-sex partners. This is a crafty misinterpretation of Scripture, and it serves to accommodate the post-modern humanistic mindset. The truth is, God, the Father Almighty Creator, established the issue of a marriage covenant between man and woman in the beginning, in the garden. And it's been affirmed in the teachings of Christ. The letters to the church clearly stand firm against any lifestyle of intimacy contrary to the sacred covenant union between a biological male and a female. Listen. And while systematic deconstructions of biblical truth regarding sexual purity are prevalent in some Christian circles, the Apostles' Creed stands in countercultural opposition to those trends. You believe in the Creed, you're going to have to deal with these issues. So, God the Father Almighty, He's not an ancient idea, He's an eternal truth, and His mandate to multiply and fill the earth in the way that He prescribed it, under which he will bless, still stands firm. Every time God says no, and he says no to these things I'm talking about, it's for our good. We may not understand it. Culture might be so contrary to that that you almost start thinking, well, surely this must be okay. But ultimately, when he says no, he's saying, you're free to live in such a much bigger yes than that no. And whether it's sexuality, whether it's addiction, whether it's whatever sin that so easily besets you, his prohibitions eternally are small compared to his great permission. Listen, he gives you a big yard to run in, and you're free. But he says, don't go out of that boundary. I'm not going to bless you there. The evil culture is going to look like it's blessed, but trust me, you don't want to go there. And I'll help you live safely within those boundaries. There's grace there. There's grace sufficient for the challenges that you have in this area. 
Well, we face struggles with that sinful nature and it feels like an overwhelming reality to us, but it's clearly against God's word that we need to continue to pull on the grace of God that's available so that we can live in alignment with his truth. Is this too hard for you today, church? Is God able? Is God able? Yes, he is. Now, here's how we handle this. Like any darkened understanding or challenges that are complex today, we walk in love and live in grace. Yet he who is without sin casts the first stone. Jesus is there welcoming everyone as they are. He's here saying, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden, come to me. You don't need to be perfect to come to me, but I will perfect that which concerns you as you come to me and as you say no to your old life and say yes to a new life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We must continue to walk out our faith and challenge others to do the same according to the eternal truth of God's word. Now, these are two complex issues. The second one, certainly very complex. I want you to know that these, my exact notes from today will be on the website, and I'm going to put some resource links to help you navigate those to hear fuller arguments articulated, fuller scriptural uh, supports so that you can be firmly educated and understand more about this topic. So I encourage you to go back, listen to the playback, and, and definitely get those articles there. So we're going we're gonna to finish up here today with what God wants us to do. Did you get anything out of that so far? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so let's turn our hearts towards communion. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. I just need a little more voice here. I need like 10 more minutes. I just want to challenge everyone. I want to invite you to reignite your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to come alive again to and reawaken to the truth that Jesus was and is who he says he is that he was sent from the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So ultimately, we can live free from sin, even, even amidst the, the pressure of society, the pressure of sin, we can live free. We're no longer slaves to sin and death so that we can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to say yes to God's ways and his commands and so that we can say no to any way that isn't his way. So as we reflect today, I don't know where you're at with him, watching online or listening to the play, playback. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ and this is what takes place, you have to confess your sins and declare him as Lord, I want to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you to do that right now as you are. And if you made that decision, let us know. Text to the number. There's some further steps. There's a video from Pastor Jim to pray that prayer. Better yet, after I close services, today, come down to the altar in front, receive prayer. We will gladly pray with you that prayer of salvation. We will give you next steps. And believers, I want to encourage you who come to, to this church weekly, when we get to this point in this service, don't check out. 
add your supply, pray, because someone's eternity hangs in the balance. This is what everything we've done today leads up to, the impartation, the revelation of the seed of the word of God to come alive and to bring salvation in the life of someone who's lost. So as we look at these elements, this isn't just tradition. This isn't just something we say. This isn't something we write about. This is something we live. This represents the body of Christ that was beaten and chastised and persecuted for us. And the blood that was poured and spilled out. By his stripes, we are healed. Because of his body, we can receive salvation and know him forever. And immediately when you receive these elements, if you, I guarantee you, if you will just grab a hold of him by faith, he'll do something in your life right now. If you need healing in your body, I want to encourage you when we receive communion, make a mandate on that gift. Declare that the word of God is going to make you whole as you receive communion today. If you have sickness in your body, if you're battling depression, emotional issues, if there's issues in your family, stand proxy and believe that when you receive communion, that those things are going to change. So let me hold them up and bless them and then we'll receive. Father, I thank you for the blood and the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that from the beginning, when sin entered into the picture, this was your plan. Redemption was your plan from the beginning. And we're so grateful that we can participate in the saving, cleansing blood of Jesus and in the body of Christ today. I just pray a blessing over these elements as we receive them. Would you receive the body and the blood? Let me just pray and I'll close. Thank you, Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, for showing us more of who you are, for teaching us throughout this series how we can live in alignment with your word. Pray that the seed goes down deep into the hearts of everyone and that it produces a harvest that we begin to see souls for the kingdom. Just bless everyone as they go today. Heal hearts, change lives, bring to full fruition all that you desire. Thank you for what you've done in the service, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this church, the Church of Grace and Peace, the vision that you've imparted here. We say we're going to move up and onward. And we declare that the next generation that hands were laid on today, that there's going to be a vibrant Holy Spirit revival coming alive so that all generations can come together and worship the Lord God in this place. So we thank you for it. We say these things. Can we agree in Jesus' name together and say, Amen. Amen.